I want to start tonight with two questions. The very first question is this. What has been a really difficult part of your life the past few years? What is something that you've been struggling with or have struggled with for a long time? I'm just going right in for it. (laughs) All right. What has been a really difficult part of your life the past few years? Or what is something you struggle with or have struggled with for some time? The second question is, if Jesus brought real healing and transformation to that part of your life, what would change? What would be different? Or what would have to change? So what is something that has been difficult? And then, if Jesus brought real healing and transformation to that part of your life, what would change or be different? Or what would have to change? So far this semester, we've seen God leave heaven for earth. We've seen him take on human flesh. We've seen him get baptized with sinners. We've seen him suffer temptation in the wilderness and emerge victorious. We've seen him walk into a synagogue, read a scroll, and drop the mic. We've seen him forgive a man of his sins, and then, to prove that he has that kind of authority, heal him of his paralysis. And tonight, we're going to see God go there. We're going to see him go into a really dark and scary and painful place in order to bring healing and hope and redemption. I hope the story encourages you as it encourages me, and I hope it challenges you and comforts you as it does me. So without any further ado, let's put it up here. It's Luke 8. We're going to start at verse 26 and read to verse 30, and we'll kind of continue from there as we go along. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 26, begins this way. Then they, that's Jesus and the 12 disciples, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. A couple of weeks uh, ago in small group, Uh, in Bible study, we looked at a story where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. Do you all recall it? Jesus is on the shores of Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee. The sun is setting. It's getting dark. And Jesus says to his disciples, hey, let's go to the other side, to the other side of the sea. This is where he wanted to go. This is the man that he wanted to meet. A demon-possessed man who lives in a graveyard with no clothes on and with shackles dangling from his wrists and feet. Jesus asks the man in verse 30, what is your name? He replies, lesion. In Mark 5, where the same story is told, he adds, for we are many. It's kind of creepy. Legion reminds me of Billy from season three of Stranger Things. Do you know who I'm talking about? Have you seen the show? In season three, Max's stepbrother, Billy, gets attacked by a dark demonic force called the Mind Flayer. The Mind Flayer invades and takes over and transforms Billy from an abusive stepbrother into a murderous sort of crazy-eyed person. The Mind Flayer totally destroys Billy's life and the lives of those around him. 
And this is the kind of person that Jesus gets in a boat and sails to the other side of the sea to meet. A guy like Billy. While we're talking about Stranger Things and mind flayers and demons, I think it's important to note that while Stranger Things is fiction, the kind of universe that it presents to us is not. In Stranger Things, there are two worlds or dimensions. There's the physical material world, think Hawkins, Indiana, circa 1983. But there is another world, right, the upside-down world, that lurks on the other side of the box. Some power-hungry people inadvertently discover the upside-down world in the show. They open up a gate into that world, and a great evil is unleashed into Hawkins, Indiana. The upside-down world seeps into ours, and it turns it upside-down. The Bible says something very similar happened. Um, Not in the 1980s, but thousands and thousands of years ago. That a human couple, Adam and Eve, hungry for power, hungry for autonomy, they opened up a gate of sorts. And when they did, sin and death and destruction came rushing right in. It's not all that different, right, from the world that the Bible describes we are living in presently. We all had a scavenger hunt on Friday. Um, uh, The scavenger hunt started on campus at the Catamount statue. And from there, students ran all over campus, and they ran around downtown, and they were finding clues, and they were taking pictures, and they were sending them in, and they were scoring points. And finally, students ended up at our house at 63 Green where we all enjoyed dinner together. Sarah Jane very kindly uh, ordered the food from Chipotle, and they catered it. Now, when she called in, the powers that be at Chipotle took the order down, and then they got to work. They found a flattened cardboard box, and then they opened up that box. They gave it shape. And then they took uh, a bunch of things, and they filled that box with all sorts of goodies. Tortillas and sofritas, Salsas and guacamole, beans and rice, all of it, each according to its kind. And inside that box, it was good. It was good. It was really very good. (laughs) There was, in that moment, two worlds. The world of the Chipotle dinner box that was filled with all kinds of goodness. And there was the world outside of that dinner box. A world full of people and puppies a world full of love and hate, a world full of sex and genocide. Not inside the box at that moment, but outside of it, right? Well, the Bible says that once upon a time, God spoke a world into existence, that he gave a world shape, and he filled sort of that that box, he filled that world with all kinds of stuff. He filled it with us. But the Bible says that this box and all it contains is not all that there is, that there is at the same time a world beyond that box, And the Bible says that those worlds, the upside-down world and the right-side-up one, have broken into this world. That the devil has uh, brought the upside-down world into our world, but Jesus has come from heaven to bring the right-side-up one. That he is breaking into the world to bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and to restore things, to set things right, to, to make the world the way it was supposed to be. That there might have been some dark forces that have turned it upside down, but he has come, right, to set it uh, aright, to set it right side up again. This is what we see in the Gospels, and it's what we encounter here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Jesus is going to a man who, unabashedly, right, the Bible is not embarrassed to say, is possessed by demons. It grants that 
look, there are unseen realities, that there is a world beyond this world, and it has the power to influence, to enter in. As surely as God exists outside of this world and has power to enter in. Right? Demons do too. He meets a man like Billy, possessed by the mind flare. Right? Jesus breaks into the box. He goes to planet Earth. He goes to the far side of the sea. He goes to a guy like Billy. He also comes to people like you and me. Where you are, Jesus goes there in order to set people free. What's interesting to me as I read this passage is not just that Stranger Things is not that strange or how much Legion reminds me of Billy. What also catches my eye is how much Legion in his life resembles that of an addict. Let's read verses 27 to 30 again. Starting at verse 27. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Parenthetically, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Now, Legion is possessed by a dark and demonic force. That much is clear. And the first thing that this dark, this dark demonic force does to him is isolate him. Legion used to live in a city. We see that in verse 27. He used to live in a home. Again, verse 27. He used to live in a house with family and with friends and with neighbors nearby. But not anymore. Now he lives in a graveyard amongst the tombs. And if you don't find him there living amongst the dead, you'll find him in the desert. Verse 29. A place of extreme isolation where nothing lives and everything dies. The darkness isolates Legion, but it also strips him of human decency and dignity. His clothes are gone. His identity is gone. Jesus asked the man, which is a really asked the man what his name is, which is a really humanizing thing to do. It's a really empathetic moment. And the man answers Legion which is not his real name, but what he has become. It would be like Jesus asking you, what is your name? And you responding, monster. The man is alone. He is naked. He's ashamed. Everywhere he looks, all he can see is death and destruction. But the demon does something more to Legion. It takes away his freedom. The man, possessed by this dark power, is seized by demons. The townspeople try to contain him. They put him in shackles and chains. But when he breaks those bonds apart, he's still not free. He is still possessed. He is still enslaved. One of the saddest verses in this passage is verse 28. When this man encounters Jesus and falls at his feet, he doesn't ask for salvation. He doesn't ask for rescue. He asks to be left alone. Leave me alone. Don't torment me. Demons do this. 
And addiction does this too. Those who are addicted to porn or are addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs or those who suffer from an eating disorder or fill in the blank all suffer some of these same ill effects. Their addiction drives them into further isolation. Porn addicts pull themselves up in their room while real human connection awaits them outside. Fake intimacy gets traded for real intimacy. Or real intimacy, I should say, gets traded for fake, right? The drug addict, the alcoholic, under the influence, shares the same space with you. But mentally, spiritually, emotionally, they're miles and miles away. They're here but not here. They are not present. They are long gone. They are alone. Addiction just doesn't isolate victims. It dehumanizes them too. It robs them of their dignity and worth. When the addict looks at him or herself in the mirror, he or she doesn't see a face. They see disappointment. They see failure. They see that same sin repeated over and over and over and over again. The addict hates the way they look about themselves, about how they feel about themselves. The voice of God, you are my child, you are my beloved, begins to fade into nothingness. And in its place, the drumbeat of the devil You are worthless. You are ugly. You are a monster. Addicts know that this thing, whether it's pornography or alcohol or marijuana or pain meds or cocaine or ecstasy or heroin or binge eating or binge exercising or whatever, they know it's ruining their lives. They want to stop, but they can't. There's nobody physically forcing them to do these things. There's no literal gun to the head, but they are not free. Borrowing language from Luke chapter 8, they are seized. They are bound. They are driven. Their chains are still hanging from their wrists. I started off tonight's sermon asking you a question. What has been a really difficult part of your life the past few years? What is something that you struggle with or have struggled with for a long time? I ask that question so that you have one that in mind, but I bring all this up too because I want you to know, and Luke wants you to know, that Jesus goes to that place with you. Jesus goes there. He goes to where you are at. And he goes there not to torment you and not to shame you, but to save you. Look, you all, if I saw a naked person running around a graveyard, shrieking and screaming and cutting himself with stones and threatening to do the same to me, I would run. I think you would too, right? If we saw somebody like that running at us, we would run away. But not Jesus. He doesn't just go there. He doesn't budge. He doesn't flinch. He goes there and he stays And he says, what is your name? What is your name? He brings humanity and healing to the situation. And he does the same to yours. The second question that I ask you is, what would happen if Jesus began to significantly change that area of your life? What would happen if Jesus met you in that secret struggle of yours and brought real healing? Not superficial healing, 
but real healing to that part of your life. The story, I think, has some very intriguing answers. So let's pick up where we last left off, starting at verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what's your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. When Jesus approaches this man, this man asks Jesus to go away, to leave him alone. Don't torment me. Go. Now, when the man realizes that Jesus isn't going anywhere, he says, in effect, okay, you can stay, but please don't send my demons away. Okay, you can stay, but please don't send my demons away. Don't send them into the abyss. Let them stay. You see that written, right, in verse 31. You all, a man whose life is being destroyed by demons asks Jesus not to get rid of them. Now, before you chalk that up as crazy, consider just a few maybe contemporary examples. Your life is being destroyed by pride, even as you're begging Jesus for good grades this semester and to make the dean's list. Porn is wrecking your relationships, but you refuse to install some porn blocker like Covenant Eyes on your computer or mobile device. Drugs and alcohol are making a wreckage of your life, but instead of praying for sobriety, you pray that God will just give you a little bit more. Not too much, but just a little bit. You know counseling could really help you and your situation, but you refuse to go because you're afraid of what it might unearth, or you're afraid of what people would think if they knew that your life wasn't perfectly put together, that you have messes too. A man whose life is being destroyed by demons asked Jesus not to get rid of them, but to let them stay. What will happen to you when Jesus brings his redemption to bear in your life? Will we hold on to what we know what is convenient, what is manageable, even though we know it's destructive? Or will we allow Jesus in? Even if that means letting some things go. Even if that might mean letting go of some control. Here's something I think that's very interesting from this passage, even provocative. The demons start negotiating with Jesus. They say, if you're going to kick us out, that's fine. But send us into those pigs. Jesus doesn't need to negotiate with demons, but he says, fine, that's fine. You have permission. Go. Now, why did, you, why did the demons ask for this favor? It's unclear. Is it so that they can be around Legion and sneak back in when Jesus isn't around? 
Or is it so that they can kill the pigs, drive them off the cliff, and make Jesus look bad? We don't fully know. But this episode highlights something that is really honest, if not a little bit complicated. Healing, real healing, is often messy. It's not clean. Think about it. Jesus exercises this man's demons. He was naked, and now he is clothed. He was alone, and now he's not. He was enslaved, and now he is free. He was insane, and now he's in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Luke paints for us a picture of total redemption. But this healing isn't easy. Right? It comes at a cost. A bunch of pigs get possessed by demons, and they run off a cliff, and they die. Which is to say, sometimes real recovery, not superficial recovery, but real recovery, it can be painful and costly and messy. Now, anybody who has ever suffered from addiction or has experienced some sort of trauma, the death of a loved one, a divorce, suicide, anyone who has suffered abuse or is in an abusive relationship right now, they know that getting better isn't going to come easy or clean or quick. Getting better is going to be painful and messy. It requires a lot of counseling, a lot of tears. Blood and guts will be spilled on the table. There's going to be lots of saying sorry and asking for forgiveness and for the strength to forgive. It's hard and hard work. And it is messy. Of course, you can try to put Band-Aids on bullet holes, but that is not real healing. Band-Aids conceal. They don't heal. And Jesus is not interested in administering Band-Aids to bullet holes. He wants to reach into the hole and take the damn bullet out. But that's messy, and that hurts. Jesus brings real healing to this man's life. He sets the man's life on a new course, in a new direction. And he doesn't just improve the quality of this man's life. He improves the quality of the life of the town as well. Because for who knows how long, the biggest threat to the peace and the prosperity of the Gerasenes was this demon-possessed man running around that graveyard with sharp objects, cutting himself and maybe cutting other people, terrorizing the village. They don't know how to fix him. They have tried, and their strategy doesn't work all that well. So what they do is they simply want to contain him. Keep him over there. Right? Conceal, don't heal. But that is not a real solution. That's a quick fix. Right? That is a band-aid. And Jesus isn't interested in that. He wants to get to the root of the problem, right? to the heart of the issue. Right? Jesus intends to fully redeem, to fully restore, to make us fully human again. But that can get messy. Right? Pigs may die. People might freak out. And they do. I don't know if you caught that detail in verses 35 and 37. But in verse 35, when the townsfolk see Legion in his right mind, clothed, sitting next to Jesus, they're not elated. They are afraid. 
They don't give Jesus the, the key to the town and celebrate a sort of like a Jesus appreciation day. They tell him, get out of here. Go. Verse 37, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes, they asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. I'm indebted to Michael Flake for this next insight. Michael Flake, if you recall, was the special guest speaker at last year's fall retreat. He gives a sermon about the same demon-possessed man. He did it a couple of years ago. And in that sermon, Michael makes the comment, and this is really good, that when we are in really painful situations like this one, we often adjust our pain threshold so what is really painful feels normal and what would really bring healing feels painful. I'll say that again. In situations like these that are really messed up, that are really painful, we often adjust our pain threshold so that what is painful feels normal. And what would, be, what would bring real healing feels painful. That is what the townspeople have done. What has been a really difficult part of your life the past few years? What is something that you struggle with or have struggled with for a long time? And what would happen if Jesus Christ began to significantly change that area of your life? That he didn't put a Band-Aid on the bullet hole, but he took the bullet out. What would that mean for you? What would that cost? What would that look like, feel like? Jesus meets you in your mess. And sometimes recovery is messy. But there is hope for you. There's hope. I want you to see how this story ends. Starting at the end of verse 37. So he, that's Jesus, got into the boat and he returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. There are three observations I simply want to conclude with. These are brief but I want to conclude on these notes. First, Jesus breaks into this box of a world, this Chipotle box of a world, right? In order to bring healing, to bring rescue. He comes to heal, and then having healed us, he sends us out as wounded healers. He comes to heal the wounded, and then he sends us out as wounded healers. Sometimes he sends us out into the world to far off places, but sometimes, as in this story, where he sends us back is home. To go home. And to tell people and to show people, not just with our words, but with our lives, how much God has done for us. He meets us where we're at, and he doesn't leave us there. It's the first thing I just want you to see from this story. The second thing I want you to see, we go into painful, broken places. Sometimes our homes, right? Painful, broken places. We go there not as perfect people, but as persons who know a perfect Savior. Jesus sends us out into the world, not as perfect people, but as people who have encountered a perfect Savior. 
We are not pointing to ourselves and saying, look at how awesome I am. We're pointing to him and saying, look at how awesome he is. Look at how great he is. What he has done in my life. Having a painful past doesn't disqualify you from ministry. But not being honest about your pain, not being honest about your brokenness, not being honest about your wounds, that just might actually disqualify you. We've got to be honest. We've got to be honest about our pains and our hurt. See, Christians are often accused of projecting perfection. And that is a mistake. It's a mistake on our part. We should not project that. We need to do a better job of being real and honest and vulnerable. The truth is, is none of us here is put together. Everyone here in this room is a mess. Me too, right? Everybody needs Jesus. But is that how we present ourselves? Is that what we project to the world? That we are needy people, that we need salvation, that we need rescue, that we are desperate? What makes this man such a great missionary, and he's one of the first missionaries we meet in the Gospel of Luke, what makes him such a great missionary is he's not trying to hide his painful past. Instead, he points to it. He says, this is true of me. And you know what else is true? Jesus is redemption. Y'all, we will be better evangelists if we follow his lead. And I wouldn't say just better evangelists. We'd be better friends. Dare I say better humans if we followed that. Finally, I want you all to look. I want you to just look at Jesus. I want to look you in the eyes and tell you that Jesus loves you. I want you to know that he's here with you. So I don't know where you are tonight. Of course, I know you're here, but I don't know where you are here. And I don't know where you are here, but Jesus does. See, Jesus knows you. If you're feeling isolated and alone, Jesus knows that about you. If you are feeling naked and ashamed, Jesus knows that about you. If you're feeling broken and in bondage, Jesus knows that about you. He knows and he sees and he loves and he cares. And friends, he comes to you. He goes there. He goes to where you are at. He loves you enough to meet you there and he loves you enough not to leave you there. Your sin and your mess, it doesn't dissuade Jesus. Your running to him and screaming at him doesn't freak him out. Because Jesus breaks into the box and he goes into this world and he goes into your life, into those painful parts of your life, not with platitudes, but with power. He goes into those painful parts of your life, not with platitudes, but with power. Y'all, real healing is possible. It's not going to always be easy. It may get messier at times, but real healing is possible. And Jesus is there for you and for that. He's with you every step of the way. So let's pray. Lord, I pray we wouldn't just hear this, but that we would experience it. Sometimes I think we're so accustomed just to hearing a message like this, that Jesus, you're good and you're powerful, 
But would you show up? Would you show up in our lives? Would, you, would we trit, quit trying to run from you? Would we quit trying to hold on to our demons? Quit trying to sort of keep you at arm's length. And instead, would we find ourselves at your feet? Would you not just put a Band-Aid over our brokenness, but would you reach in and pull the bullets out? As painful as that would be, because we know that is a necessary first step towards our real healing, which is what you want. I don't know what that really looks like in the lives of the students here. I don't know necessarily that the answer to the first question, how they would have answered that, what is the most painful thing of their life or some struggle that they've had. I don't necessarily know. Maybe I do, but maybe I don't. But I know you know. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to ask for help, that you would give them the courage to take a next step towards healing, a step towards you, a step towards recovery. I pray, Lord Jesus, um, that you would affect real change. And so we wouldn't just hear about these things tonight, but we would indeed experience it, experience salvation, experience rescue, experience redemption. And I pray that, Lord, for everyone here tonight, and I pray it for those who aren't, but who need it just the same. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.